Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. I think i got to say a couple things before Arnie uh, gives us the message. Uh, <clears throat> you know, as, as the Lord has taken us through this process over the last three years um, of really uh, stripping away of things um, and uh, really us, us becoming a, a place that uh, or our, our gatherings becoming a, a place where uh, uh, by the Lord's design uh, becoming rather distasteful to the flesh um, this this has all been the mercy of God. Uh, it's it's all been God's grace. It's it's been God's blessing. Uh, and our reward for being obedient to Him with the solemn assembly that we had three years ago. Because uh, he, he's he's almost gotten us to the point where the only thing we have to offer is the presence of God, <laughs> and what he was speaking to me this morning is. <laughs> He's taking us to what the true church looks like because that's all that the true church has to offer is the presence of God. So I think I think we've come a long way in being deconstructed <laughs> and, and I don't know how much reconstruction there's going to be <laughs> uh, anyway I, I just felt like I needed to share that um, we missed everybody last week uh, but we, we had a good time away we had a, had a good time in, in La Barge um, Mark Crawford really rocked my world um, there. Um, and I'll share more about that at a, a later time. Uh, but Arnie, come on up and share the word. Well, good morning. I uh, have a word to share this morning. That I believe will be a real blessing to us all. It's the Word of God, amen? Um, three weeks ago, 
when I taught and when I was last here, um, that message laid a foundation that I want to build on today. So I want to review a small part of what I taught, uh, beginning with Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. We looked briefly last week at four, or three weeks ago, at four passages where we saw that Jesus was moved with compassion. He didn't just have or feel compassion. It wasn't just an emotion. His compassion moved him to act. Compassion is far more than pity or empathy. It is not simply an emotional thing. Compassion compels a person to act to meet the need. Okay, I guess I'll say it. Some of the translations, I think, are weak. Because they say something like, he felt compassion. Well, obviously, if you have compassion, you're going to have feelings attached to it. There will be emotion. But compassion that doesn't move you to act is not compassion. It's an imposter. So when we look at this passage, what was Jesus' action here? Verse 37 tells us that he shared his vision. I believe he was trying to impart his vision to his disciples. And then commanded them to ask the Lord of the harvest for more laborers. talked briefly last time I spoke about the the vast numbers of people that Jesus was dealing with. Probably hundreds of people. You know, you pray for one and they're healed and then there are a hundred more in line. You cast out one demon and there are a hundred more people that need to be set free. So the harvest was vast even at that time. The Lord's answer for the shortage of laborers was to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers. The word pray 
in Matthew 9.38 can be translated implore, beseech, beg, or plead with. The English Standard Version of Matthew 9.38 says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Luingo writes about this Greek word. It is not a passive, under-your-breath type of prayer, but a resounding cry of intensity and desperation. He is inviting us to shake heaven with our voices until laborers fall out. May God move in our hearts and get us to a point where we will do that. There's another word we need to understand here in this verse. It's the word that's translated send out. That is the Greek word ekbalo. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out or to ekbalo laborers into his harvest. Luengo writes that ekbalo is neither polite nor restrained. Ekbalo is far more strident and spiritually confrontational filled with passion and force. Ekbalo means to forcibly expel, to thrust out violently, to fling. Each time the word is used, it is with pronounced forcefulness. The zeal of the Lord almost borders on anger, especially in its application to the Lord's confrontation with demons. If we're going to challenge the hell holes of spiritual darkness on earth, We need much more than a little emotional inspiration. We need a forceful thrusting out and empowering by the Spirit that comes in answer to the forceful cry, Ekbalo! Ekbalo is the same word Jesus used in Luke 11.20 when he said, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Engel comments on that, that Ekbalo is a verb of intense spiritual energy, creating alignment with divine purpose, which proves the kingdom is advancing. Now, when I taught three weeks ago, I limited the application of those principles to asking the Lord of the harvest for laborers to reach and transform Cheyenne. But today, I want to give you a far bigger picture. In this Matthew 9 passage that we've just read, when Jesus gave his disciples the command to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, They were ministering to the large crowds they saw in front of them at that time. But Jesus' ministry while he was here on earth in his incarnation was limited to a relatively small geographic area, primarily to Jewish people with only a few exceptions. But later in his ministry, Jesus gave his disciples a prophecy 
that revealed that revealed more of his heart. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Jesus himself said the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. It will happen. We have his word on it. His word does not return void. It's important for us to understand, though, that the word translated as nations here is not what we think of. We often think of country. But nation and country are not synonymous. During the 1930s, Donald McGavern and Dr. Ralph Winter taught that the Greek word for nations in Matthew 24:14 is actually the word ethnos. Again, I'm no Greek scholar, so pardon my pronunciation, but there's the English transliteration for you, uh, pronounced phonetically. E-T-H-N-O-S is the translation or transliteration from which we derive our English word ethnic. If the word nations is actually ethnos, then it means the gospel must be preached to every ethnic group, tribe, and tongue. To illustrate what this means, let's look at the ministry of Cameron Townsend in Guatemala during the 1930s. As he was preaching the gospel there, he began to realize that most of the people did not even speak or understand Spanish, the official language of the country. One man came to him and said, if your God is so big, why doesn't he speak my language? Townsend realized that whole family groups, tribes, and languages were totally disconnected from Guatemala's predominant language and culture. His paradigm and his mission's strategy changed from focusing on the country of Guatemala to the nations, tribes, and languages within the country. He later founded Wycliffe Bible Translators to implement this new strategy. Wycliffe completed their first translation of the Bible in 1951. Their 500th translation was completed in the year 2000. Their work continues today with 1,600 more translations needed. Today, we often refer to these nations, tribes, and languages as people groups. I'd like to introduce you at this point to a ministry which provides information on the people groups in the world 
they view their ministry as an enablement or as an assistance to intercessors, evangelists, and church planters. The ministry is called the Joshua Project. And they say, ideally, people group would always be defined to mean all individuals in the group understand each other reasonably well, and cultural relationship barriers aren't so high that the transmission of the gospel is seriously impeded. Did you get that? Let me repeat it. Ideally, people group would always be defined to mean all individuals in the group understand each other reasonably well. And secondly, cultural relationship barriers aren't so high that the transmission of the gospel is seriously impeded. Okay? Now, there are only 206 countries in the world today. But according to joshuaproject.net, which is the website, the the number of nations or people groups is 16,856. Of those, 6,992 are considered to be unreached. 6,992. The Joshua Project defines an unreached or least reached people as a group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. They use the terms unreached and least reached to mean the same thing. And their standard or their criteria for defining an unreached people group is less than or equal to 2% evangelical Christian and less than or equal to 5% professing Christians. So let's take a look at a couple slides from the Joshua Project. Um, the first one is about Thailand, where our daughter Amy and her husband Matt and our grandson Jedediah currently live and are serving. Um, if you'll notice, I don't know if, can you see this? Is it kind of small? There are 113 people groups in Thailand. 81 of those, or 71.7% of the groups, are unreached. The official language of the country is Thai. But as we saw earlier about Guatemala, there may be many other languages spoken. The total population of Thailand is 68,198,000. The unreached portion of that population is 87,232,000, or 98.6% of the population. They also give us the literacy rate of 97%. They tell us the largest religion there is Buddhism, 84.7%. The percent of professing Christians, this is professing Christians, 1.3%. And those whom they've identified as evangelical is only 0.51%. 
There's another slide that gives us more information about the groups in Thailand. And I wanted to show you this. They've got this information on all countries, all people groups. But here, they show you the name of the people group, the population of that people group in that country, um, the global population. In other words, let's take uh, this second group. I can't even pronounce the name, but there are only 400 of those people in that country in Thailand, but there are 16,000 worldwide. The AKEU, the Q, whatever their pronunciation is, is the primary language of that people group that has the same name. Okay, this is a code talking about the, the red is the least reached or unreached. Uh, yellow is more reached. The green is the most reached. Okay, and then the primary religion of that people group and then the percentage of that people group that are adhere to Christianity or professing Christians, and then on the right side is the number of evangelical Christians in that group, or the percentage of evangelical Christians in that group. So I just wanted to show you what's available on that website so that you can look at different people groups and understand more about what's going on in a particular people group or in a particular country. Now the next slide shows the statistics about the United States, which really surprised me. Did you realize we have 488 people groups in this country? Of those, 84 of those groups are unreached. And that's 17.2% of our population. Okay? The total population of, of America, the United States, is 325 million, roughly, and the population of unreached is nearly 11 million, or almost three, or about 3.3 percent. Okay, now the number of professing Christians in this country is 77.3 percent. The number of evangelicals is shown to be 28.45. But of course, there are people groups that. have almost no one professing Christ as their Lord and Savior. Go ahead and show the next slide. This is just another example. This um, shows you the, some of the groups. And there's a, obviously there are some of 488 groups or something like that in America. That's only a small screenshot of uh, what we could show you. But just for the sake of illustration, I wanted you to see this so that you could be able to, to know what's on that website and determine whether or not that's of value to you. Yes. Okay. Um, I won't take time for all of them. Um, okay. For example, the Afrikaner people group is 13,000 in this country, but there are 4,146,000 in the world. Their primary language is Afrikaans. They are 95% Christian. They have a little green dot next to them, so they're pretty much a reached nation. Those who uh, are not Christian apparently don't want to be. Um, however, 
Here at the bottom, for example, we have two Albanian groups, groups one of 85,000, another 45,000 people in this country. The worldwide population is 3,500,000 and 2,261,000. They're both Islamic. Here's another Islamic group. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's A-D-Y-G-H-E. There are 3,500 of those people in our country with a world population of 653,000. And the number of Christians in that group is zero. One quick comment I'll make, just having looked at some of the statistics. Islam is one of the biggest obstacles to the gospel. All right. Now, I wanted you to see that so you can go, know that you can go to the website, joshuaproject.net. But if you do go there, you can uh, get a daily email or on a widget or mobile app, you can get information about an unreached people group each day so that you can pray for that people group. Okay? And that's the website there if you care to write it down. It's pretty easy to remember. JoshuaProject.net. Okay? Now, that was a quick detour into some statistics. I want to get back to the word with one little exception here. Worldwide, we have 6,992 unreached people groups, which include 3.15 billion, 3.15 billion people, 42.2% of the total 7.47 billion people in the world. Again, as Jesus said, the harvest. Truly, is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But when Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached in all the world to the, as a witness to all the nations, he was saying that every unreached people group would hear the gospel and see demonstrations of his kingdom power as a witness to them. We know this will happen not only because Jesus said it, but also because we see in Revelation 7, 9, and 10 a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues or languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These are people thrown throughout all the unreached people groups in the world who stand before God as saved people, redeemed people. We know that Jesus' prophecy that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations will be fulfilled. But how will God do it? Let's look at two more prophecies, which I believe give us the key to the answer to that. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 31. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit. 
Gotta bring it. God, we is your people. We ask, bring your spirit. We need you. We need your spirit. Our human efforts don't get it done. We need you. We want you. So we ask you to pour out your spirit as you promised. Jesus' name. Finish the verse. I will pour, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Excuse me. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And we've just read that God said, I will pour out my spirit in both verse 28 and then again in verse 29. He repeated it for us. I don't think he wanted us to miss it. He wants us to know it's coming, and he wants us to be ready. I prayed about this. On the one hand, he says, I will pour out my spirit. It will happen on all flesh. But here's what I see happening. The Spirit will come, and those who are ready will receive. Those who are not will not. It will bounce off of them as if they were Teflon. We have to have hearts that are ready to receive the Spirit. So, God, we ask you to do that in us. Prepare us, God. Now, what is God's purpose for pouring out his Spirit? I believe the answer is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God gave his spirit to the disciples so they could be his witnesses to the end of the earth. He'd already commissioned them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and to go and make disciples of all the nations. But before they went, he told them, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Another translation says, endued. The Amplified even says, equipped. The Lord wanted his disciples to be equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit before they attempted to obey the Great Commission. Because let me tell you something. Flesh doesn't get it done. 
Intellect does not get it done. Great writing, great speaking, all human efforts are worthless if God isn't empowering it. One other point here. In Joel 2.29, God tells us that he will pour out his spirit in those days. Which days was he referring to? Well, verse 31 tells us, I will pour out my spirit before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, why? Why did the Father choose to wait until that time? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. If we need the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission, and God's going to do it before His Son returns for His bride. That's, I believe, why. Jesus will not return to reign on the earth until every tribe, every tongue, and every nation has heard and witnessed the gospel of the kingdom. If he did, he would be violating his own word. He said he wouldn't come back until it was done. But why has it taken over 2,000 years for the Great Commission to be completed? Let's take another look and another prophecy that is key to the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14. For those of us who are part of Cover Cheyenne with Prayer, every month we see this in our prayer guidelines. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. The last phrase says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know, it's amazing that over the last 20 years, a house of prayer movement has swept through the world. This is at least the beginning of an amazing fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. But let me share a concern with you I have. I want to say up front, I have been personally blessed by the House of Prayer movement. There are many houses of prayer that we've gone to IHOP in Kansas City and received from that ministry, as have Matt Mamie, Mike and Karen. I know Jane Joy have been there. 
I've been blessed because there are three things that I think the House of Prayer movement does well. There's a focus on knowing God intimately. There's a focus on experiencing the love of God for us. And there's a focus on expressing our love for God to him. Those are all great things. I can't argue with those. It brings life, spiritual life to a person. But can you see that if that's all we ever do, it could be very selfish. It's about me. I want to know God. I want to experience His love. And I want to express my love to Him. It's all about me. It shouldn't be that way. Because if those are really happening, there's also something else going on. Those things lay a spiritual foundation on which we can build. But what is God's ultimate purpose for his house of prayer? Within the last month, Holy Spirit's drawn my attention to the last three words of Isaiah's prophecy. God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now the teacher in me wants to share this with you, that in Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7, it's clear to me that God wants people from other nations, not just the Israelites, but the other nations, to come into his house of prayer. Let's read it very quickly. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. See, God loves all his children. And he delights in seeing them all in his house of prayer. That's why it's exciting to me when I see a multiracial, multi-ethnic group church. It's not all white. It's not a black. You know, we, we talk about black churches. And I love Have you ever been to a black church? You know, it's great. Those people have enthusiasm. They have zeal. They, they've got some life to them. Okay? But couldn't we use that? So, I'm grateful for what we do have in the way of diversity. But I believe God would want more. There's a whole other meaning of these words for all nations that is gripped.
ripped. You see, I see a mandate in this prophecy. I believe God wants his house of prayer to pray for the harvest in all the nations of the earth. How many laborers will it take to reach the nearly 7,000 unreached groups with 3.15 billion people? How many will it take? Why are the laborers so few? Missions experts tell us that less than 10% of the current active missionaries serve in that group of unreached people. Why are the laborers so few? Very simply, because we have not obeyed Jesus' command in Matthew 9 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. New England said, laborers are few because prayers are few. In his book, that I've been uh, by, Prayak Balo, who quotes Andrew Murray, a great writer and pastor from another generation. Andrew Murray wrote, the number of missionaries on the field depends entirely on the extent to which someone obeys that command and prays out the laborers. Let me say it again. The number of missionaries on the field depends entirely on the extent to which someone obeys that command and prays out the laborers. Luingo commented on that statement, if this scripture and Andrew Murray's commentary is true and the church really grasped its importance, then overnight, Matthew 9.38 would become the fiery petition on millions of lips across the planet. Every single day, we would not relent. For those who don't know Lou Engel, if there's anyone here who don't, doesn't, rather, Lou has been a leader in the prayer movement for decades now. But in considering all of this, Lou has received a vision from God of one million intercessors throughout the world praying Matthew 9.38 every day. And he says, the Lord has deposited faith in my heart to believe for one million Christians worldwide to begin praying Matthew 9.38 every day. Can you quote it yet? Therefore, pray 
earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. How should we respond to this? I would suggest that we become one of the million that Lou Engel is believing for and pray Matthew 9.38 every day. Another thing you might do is pray for an unreached people group every day. I told you one way you can do that, by going to the joshuaproject.net. You can sign up to receive either an email, or get it on a widget, or um, an app. It's not a long email. You can read it in just a few minutes and begin to pray for that group. But I would encourage you to do that. Beyond that, ask God if there's a specific unreached people group he wants you to pray for daily. Let me read you something about doing that. This is from Lou Engel's book, Pray Akbalo. Page 9, he tells a story. A young woman from Biola University attended an event at her church in which names of various unreached people groups were written on slips of paper and posted on a wall of prayer. People were challenged to take one of the slips off the wall and adopt in prayer. Sorry. People were challenged to take one of the slips off the wall and adopt in prayer whatever people group was written inside. Moved by the challenge, she lifted one slip from the wall. Written inside was the Jat people, J-A-T. Then she went to another section of the wall and took another slip of paper. Again was written, Jat people. Satisfied that God was leading her, she committed herself to pray regularly that the Holy Spirit would move among the Jat and that God would send laborers to minister among them, even though she knew little about them other than their name. Two years later, she embarked on a short-term mission trip to India, where her team faithfully shared the gospel from village to village, but with little visible fruit. At length, they came to another village, and they shared the gospel again, as they had every other time. This time, the results were very different. The chief of the village came to the team and said, We have been moved by your message about Jesus. I and my whole village have chosen to give our lives to Jesus Christ. Inquiries were made. As to the name of his people, chief responded, we are called. So will your prayers be effective? 
You may or may not go. God may not call you to go. But the hidden life of the intercessor affects what happens in this world. Now my people group is the Lady Boys of Menka. Or Matt Naming are working. I don't know what that is, I'll talk to you later. So that's something else you can do, is ask God to put on your heart a specific unreached people group and then pray for them every day. Another thing we could do is ask God to make us a laborer where we are. I've been challenged about this, and God's working on me, but it's very much a work in progress. But I believe as I pray this verse, Matthew 9:38, every day, God's going to change my heart. Something else you could do is ask the Lord where he wants you to labor in his harvest. Is it here in Cheyenne? What part of Cheyenne? What group in this city? Is it somewhere else? Is he calling you to go to an unreached people group? And it takes a lot of people, a strong team, to support those who are sent with prayer and finances. If you're not to go yourself, I would suggest that you ask the Lord who he wants you to support. So those are some practical ways you can respond to this message. In closing, I just want to encourage you with this. The Lord's words will be fulfilled. His word does not return void. He will pour out his spirit on all flesh, empowering his people to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. He will make his house a prayer, house of prayer for all nations, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Do you realize your obedience to pray Matthew 9.38 has a bearing on when Jesus will return? Is that why it's taken 2,000 years? Because we've trivialized this prayer and skipped over it and thought it was not of great significance? God, I ask you to burn burn this word into our hearts. Change our hearts, God. Make us true intercessors. Make us people who will pray day and night. The laborers will go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and make disciples of all nations. 
God, change our hearts. Penetrate the hardness. Soften our hearts. Give us hearts that are tender toward you. None of this happens without you. We cannot do this on our own. We need you. We need the empowering of your spirit. We don't even know how to pray as we should pray. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come now and fill us. Empower us to pray. Empower us to be witnesses. Empower us to be obedient. We ask it in Jesus' name. all know this is where the Lord's been leading us for at least the last year and a half or so. Uh, The whole problem is the church has gone without obeying that prayer, Matthew 9.38. If the church would pray the prayer and wait (laughs) and then go empowered our results would be totally different. But instead, in our American thinking we know how to do everything, the church here has just gone (laughs) and said, we can figure this out. So, what, what does God's church look like? It looks like a house of prayer for all nations. That's what he said. Um, So, uh, you know, in in our our previous um, location, we we had time before the service really started for for us to gather and pray. And uh, I know the Lord's calling us into more prayer. I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I... I believe we should all take Arnie's challenge personally and seriously and, and say, yes, Lord. Uh, I will do what you said, Jesus, and I will ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers who are empowered to preach the gospel of the kingdom to every people group on, on this planet so that you can return. So I, I think what I will be speaking about next week is, is going to be about the importance of the timing of, of this message. Uh, yeah, a week from tomorrow is the solar eclipse. If anybody needs eclipse glasses, I, I, I have a bunch. So, <laughs> talk to me. Um, but then, next month, there's another pretty significant sign in the heavens that 
could very likely be the fulfillment of Revelation 12.1. We've already had the blood moons. The moon's turned red, the sun is turning black. How much time before the great and terrible day of the Lord? It's time for us to pray. And it's time for us to be ready to receive that outpouring when it comes. And the way that we're ready is by being a person who honors the Holy Spirit and who seeks after knowing Jesus. So do those things and pray. And uh, thanks for that message, journey. The Lord is on it. So uh, if you're here this morning and uh, you would like prayer for something, it can be a physical need, it can be a, a whatever kind of need, uh, I just ask you to stand up and we'll have some people gather around you and pray. Nobody? Stand up, Judy. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could be crazy next week, yeah. small towns could could really be crazy so right yeah it, it could be messy yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. so nobody wants prayer really okay some people gather around joy. If anybody else wants that, I encourage you to have Arnie pray. Because I, I believe the Lord has imparted something to him. Uh, even when we were in La Barge. But it started before that. 
if, if you need to go, uh, you, you can consider yourself dismissed, but uh, if you want to stay and receive prayer, you can uh, come up here as well. Father, I thank you for the wisdom of your plan. It's, it's easy for us to say yes when you say go and do. It's harder when you tell us to wait and pray. I don't know why that is, God, but do something in our hearts so that we seek the waiting and praying so that we can be empowered when you send us out. So be the salt and light within us this week. May we take your kingdom to new places, even in Cheyenne, this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus. Father, we just call that birthing forth right now in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, we call it forth. We call it forth. Yes, Lord, full term. In Jesus' name, we just call it forth. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.